Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Tag fired up for this Friday morning. Morning Combat back at it. It is Friday, October 30th, 2020. That's mischief time for... Big beige Brian Campbell sitting across from the cake to my urinal. Right, right. I mean, right, right. You know, not bad. If you were, if you were beige, Brian, big beige, Brian Campbell. Yeah. It's triple B. The sperm to my whale, the dick to my tation. He's an ex-marine sergeant. There's no such thing. He is Luke Thomas, a man, a big man. All right. How are you, folks? Yeah. Hey, we got a big show for you today. It's been a fun week somewhere in the swamps of Jersey. Back. In, uh, what do we call this place? It was uh, Orchids of Combat. No one's ever called it that except you, and you're trying to make it stick, and I'm not going to let it. It does get a little handsy, a little sticky in these parts. Uh, big show today because it's a big loaded weekend in the combat sports game. We're going to get deep inside the matchups. Gervonta Davis, Leo Santa Cruz, Anderson Silva, Uriah Hall. Look back on the Bellator night that was Thursday night at 250 middleweight title on the line. All that and then some tall, pale, and handsome. The BBC has your back in the host chair you know today, what, Luke. You know, and I know how hard it was for you to relinquish that. Just, just so everyone knows, it was my idea so that he would host on Fridays because I think it might change up the energy a little bit. Already, I think it's proven to be true. Second of all, cameraman, can you do me a favor? I forgot my glasses. I think they're in a brown case yeah, at the top of the yeah. bag. Can you get you his cane mind. while you're at it over there? Yeah, I can't. I forgot to put them on because I am a, the stupidest man alive. You, you also you also wore that shirt yesterday, I think, Luke. No, I, no, no. I wore it on what day is it today? Friday. I wore it Wednesday, and then I washed it in my sink yeah, last like, night. Like a true panhandler. Can, I, <laughs> can you spot my front yard workout later? I mean, come uh, on. Yes, is, it's always been my dream to <laughs> spot you. <laughs> Thank you very much. I uh, want to shout out you a lot of... zip open the side bag, it might be in the... Yeah, that's thing. right. It's a live show. It's not a big no, deal. zip open the side bag. Yeah, hey, camera guy, get it together over there. Yeah, I mean, aren't you right? supposed to be doing your job? And my job, there it is right there, yeah, behind right. the things. Uh, we want to thank Showtime, Malka, CBS Sports. been a big week for us. We're doing a lot of big stuff here. Um... They're filming a documentary about our return to this spot right here. You should tell them about the podcast we recorded. Pretty excited. And although we we ghosted you on night one, it's a Luke Thomas uh, fault here, we did do a fantastic room service diaries Thursday night. You'll be seeing that today on the YouTubes. Uh, Look out for that. I don't think we're going to lose our jobs, which is good. I hope uh, not. Or getting any fights. But, you know, we come real. We come original. Uh, You see, they're asking us to remind you that, you know, we need to thank Showtime and tell folks how they can get it. Yeah, that was that was part of the that was the yeah, end of my sure. that was the sure. end of my spiel. That was when the the baby you know comes out. Uh, you can go. You can start a thirty day free trial right now. Uh, you want Showtime? Why don't you go to Showtime.com? What are you getting? The boxing, the great series, the documentaries, the movies. It's the only place where you can find Morning Combat Strike Force Classics. It's got its own folder where Luke and I. Join forces with Moro Ronaldo, Scott Coker. Look back at the greatest moments in Strike Force history. And if you want merch like this. Well, it's not on the website, so you're not going to be able to find it. This is a collector's edition. <laughs> and if you live outside the country, you'll be pounding sand anyway. But if you live in the, uh, at least the lower 48, at least, you can go to show, actually, you can go to store.showsho.com, and you can pick up your own morning combat dad hat, winter hat. I know it's snowing in Connecticut right now today. We it was one. windy as balls outside. Yeah, damn right. Uh, you can wear all that shit you see us wearing a lot. Please support the cause because... Uh, your favorite combat show, if it ain't this one, it will be. 
It will be, bro. I agree I'm with that. You. All right? I'm, I'm getting in them, them, them undies, oh, all right? And they're telling me, don't forget as well, morningcombat at gmail.com, morningcombat with a K, all one word, at gmail.com for what? Dead wrong, for just to reach yes. out to the show. Fan submissions, right? Oh, we got a theme song. Check it out on, uh, I think it's next Wednesday. We got we okay. another theme song attempt. Somebody trying to one-up the great Cal Matisse. Shout out to Web Scream and all those weirdos. Um, I love y'all. It's time to get into the show, Luke, unless you want to sell anything else. Let's do it. All right. Let me hit me with my ISO cam here. Hit me with the horns, Monty. Uh, we are going to start off in the UFC. A little bit of news that hit out of nowhere yesterday. Less than one full week into our celebration of all things Habib Nurmagomedov, 29-0, who retired in the cage last weekend after beating Justin Gaethje and unifying, reunifying that lightweight title. Dana White showed up on the Zach Gelb Show, CBS Sports Radio, the national broadcast, on Thursday. Had a little bit of a chat, and oh, by the way, dropped this. Can we play the audio? FC here with us on the Zach Gelb Show. Did you have any indication going into that fight that that was going to be his last fight? No, nobody knew. Not not even his coach. Um, nobody knew. Wow. So, like, how do you just process that? I was, you know, I, I wasn't. <laughs> I was sitting there going, oh, my God, you got to be kidding me. But, but I'll tell you this, and I haven't told anybody this yet, Habib and I have been talking. And, uh, you know, he was completely emotional that night, you know, when he got, when he got through that fight. I, I have a feeling that, uh, that he, might, he might go for 30-0. So you think he's going to be coming back is what you're saying? Yeah, I, I, I do. I think, I, I think that he's not going to retire. I think, you know, his dad wanted him to get the 30-0. and 0, And uh, I think he wants to honor his dad's wish. Well, now let me follow up on that. Going into the fight, there was this talk of you having something special planned for him. What is that something special now <laughs> since we thought those plans uh, were going to happen and now maybe they weren't going to happen and now it looks like they're going to happen again potentially, Dana, from what you're saying. Yeah, you know, I, I, I haven't even told him that because, you know, he was going to retire. So I, I haven't even said it to him. So I'm, I'm not going to say anything publicly. Well, do you want me to relay the message to him? I'm sure I can get in contact <laughs> with him. Oh, you're the best. You're the best. <laughs> Always looking out for me. Luke, the news is this. Uh, we didn't even hesitate when Habib retired to, to open up any door and channel to say, you think he'll come back in a year? I mean, it's a man of conviction. Is this promoter speak or do you think there's something to this? So the quote for folks who uh, may have uh, heard us talking over it was apparently that, uh, I can hear everything they're hearing in the back, by the way, if you guys could mute the microphones back there. Um, I would say is, is apparently Dana White had a conversation with Habib and that Habib told Dana that his father wanted him to go for 30-0. and 0. So while he had said at the end of UFC 254 that he had made a promise to his mother to never fight without his father, on the other hand, shouldn't he carry out his father's wishes to go for some kind of okay. round number? Okay. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I think I shared most people's belief that when Nurmagomedov retired, everyone always has the same cynicism about retirements in MMA, that they're never permanent because someone wants the money or they get offered you know, something they just couldn't turn down, that they never got or what they Or they haven't had around. a phoner in a while and they want to feel this. They haven't had that Jake Hager phoner. Uh, but Habib seemed quite genuine. He seemed to be overwhelmed by the experience. Um, he seemed to be tired. He seemed to be ready for, at least for the time being, something definitely different. So here's the question. Like, even if he decides to come back, does that mean right away? I mean, even St. Pierre was saying this week that, like, 
you know, we, or no, sorry, Faraz Zahabi. Faraz Zahabi was saying, you know, we should leave St. Pierre and Habib alone. If these guys are actually done and they say they're done, then, you know, enough of this nonsense. Let them just have their peace. So, like, do I think he might come back for 30? Given what we know about MMA retirements, even, the, even someone like Habib is principled about that kind of thing as he is, I suppose even he will fall into the, the current's undertow. But I don't know if that means right away. I don't know if that means, you know, there might be a, a year or two break. That's the only part about it that I think is Yeah, we're off. less than a week into this, so we, we do need uh, Habib to take a long walk, so to speak, and maybe uh, Dana not share everything from the conversation. But this does open the door back up. And, look, at the end of the day, would I rather have Habib around, you know, making maxing out that legacy and finding out how great he can be rather than him go away? Of course. But I want him to do it on his own terms, and I want it to be um, – well, here's my question about this. If he's coming back, Dana went on in that same interview with Zach Gelb to say it's not going to be for a boxing situation. We're not going to do, you know, Nurmagomedov against Floyd, okay? Right. We know that it kind of would make a lot of sense for the company to do Connor versus Poirier, the rematch, and put the vacant title at stake. If you, the quicker well, you can... Here's a question. Is it still vacant? The Is it vacant at all? That's a great question. The quicker you can get the belt potentially back on your biggest star, obviously, from a business standpoint, it's something you would want to do. So that would lead me to believe... If Habib potentially wants the 30-0 to please father, which no disrespect there, GSP had been a big part of their conversation as father and son, as that is the, the, the goat in their eyes. That was the legend in their eyes that they hoped they would get a chance to fight for respect purposes, but also to beat and add that and put that as a, as a you know, cornerstone to the resume. UFC potentially, Luke, tell me if I'm wrong. They could have their cake and eat it too. They could have the best of both worlds. If they make GSP Habib and make it out of catchweight and set it up more as what Javier Mendez said, the winner of that fight is going to have a strong case at being the GOAT, whether you love John Jones or not. So not worry about the whole idea of GSP cutting down to lightweight at 39 years old and could he become the first three-division champion and still having Conor and Dustin fight in that potential vacant title bout with Habib saying, look, I'm going to go out on my terms, one more super fight, 30-0, roundo, beat this legend who I want to do business with, who I respect. And... Uh, you get one more big fight out of it, but you don't have as much at stake where it could hurt them business-wise if GSP just drops that bill. Yeah, I mean, here is what Habib's claim to fame is right now. To me, he does not have the most accomplished career for an elite fighter. He has the most flawless one. And so if you're going to continue to a 30-0 and number, um, you can't change the most accomplished part. It won't work because you still have, you know, three, four title defenses versus was it 11 for John, 14 or 15 title fights generally and wins. There's just too much ground to make up. So John has more accomplishments, but he doesn't have the, in the, in the narrow space in which Habib occupies, it is, he has never been as flawless as that guy. If you're going to come back and fight and maintain what you're trying to maintain, you could do that against Connor. That's a thing you could do. But the two problems to the thing you raised are, one, I don't think 165 should be a catchweight. I think it should be a weight class. But as we speak today, it would be a catchweight. And Dana just doesn't want to do fights between megastars at catchweights. I think that's silly. But your alternative is him not to fight again, in a way. So, so in that case, it's one big extra bonus that doesn't screw up your ranking. You really think this is going to be the one where he just gives into that? Like, if you make a 165-pound fight, then you know it can be made. And if they end up looking pretty good and it's a great fight, people are going to say, we should just do more of this. He doesn't even want that conversation to get started. Okay, That's the first part. The second part I would say is, if you're Habib, while you could scratch the itch and maintain what you've maintained against Conor, 
Does he really want his 30th fight to be against a guy he doesn't even want to give the opportunity to? It has to be GSP. Yes. Or he has to go up a weight class and fight, I don't know, Colby or Kamaru or Jorge or something like that, which I don't see. I, I also don't see that as likely. I'm just saying, given what he's accomplished and what he wants to maintain, all roads basically lead to GSP, but it leads to it at 155. I'm imagining GSP is going to want time to get down there a little bit. Like none of this is none of this is imminent. The question, only to my mind, is if Habib is not retiring, he is keeping the belt. Do they still find a way to put an interim belt on the line, even though they just retired it again with Gaethje to Justin, excuse me, Dustin and Connor, under the premise that Habib's going to take some time off? If it was the WBC, we'd already have a. Uh... A uh, regular, super, super regular. An Irish Lives Matter title or something, you know, the, whatever is going on there. Shout out to Tyson and Jones for their uh, frontline title that they're going to have right there. Um, Dana also said a couple other things he leaked out. He thought Gaethje was going to pull the upset given all the distractions Habib had and the way he responded at the way and, you know, looking up and all that. And number two, uh, and this seems like it comes from the conversation with Habib, which makes it seem more likely that Dana isn't just speaking. He said uh, maybe Habib was a little emotional in the cage on Saturday and a little extra emotional, took it too far. I don't know. I saw a man of conviction give a pretty strong excuse having promised his mom on why not to do it. I won't hold it against Habib if he changes course. Obviously, we'll get another big fight about it. Uh, you know, if he wants to fight, let's let him fight. But there's no way that Dana's pushing something that isn't there, hoping Habib latches on. That'd be kind of a dick move right now, right? Uh, would you put it past him? I don't hold on. Here's the thing. I'm not even saying it in a nefarious way, like, oh, like he's Gargamel trying to get the Smurfs. Yeah. What I'm saying is, as a promoter, isn't your job to put on the best fights that people want to pay money to see? Like, oh, but my name is at the bottom of that. <laughs> no, 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 no. The cut, the mug. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I didn't put my lips to it. Right. Uh, it's fine. I don't care if you did. I would just still boil it and ask. Right, because the orange one's mine. We already knew that. All right, all right. Uh, anyway, point being is, is that... Uh, it, you would only expect him to do that. Yeah, it would be nice if you weren't pressuring the guy. I'd just be surprised if he didn't. To me, it's not a question of, like, malfeasance or improper promoter. I mean, I've always said this. People are like, you know, Brian Stan should be the one to replace Dana as the promoter of the Ultimate Fighting Championship. I'm like, why would you want to corrupt such a such a beautiful, yeah. pure well, thing, thing in the DC. world? Well, same thing with DC. It's really like a, you need a chale. You need a street smart... You need a guy who's willing person. to cut corners. You know, you need a guy who's willing to be to lie. ruthless. Yeah. And, and lie. And, and be so ruthless. I think yeah. it's just part of what a promoter does. A promoter just does the kinds of things that you wouldn't want a normal person to do. So did he do it? Maybe. Either way, I don't really care. We spent a lot of time together in the last few days. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know? I've, I've learned that your, 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 your bark was loud, but your bite wasn't vicious. You know what I'm saying? Oh, based on what? Fuck All face. right. All right. Based on a few things. All right. Hey, let's move on to our next topic this week, staying in the UFC and looking at the welterweight picture as a whole and how Leon Edwards fits in there. A lot of people hit us up said, hey, you guys never reacted to this. Well, here's your moment. Here's the first half of this story. Leon Edwards got dropped midweek of this week from the welterweight rankings, leading a lot of people to go, what the hell is going on here? Is he getting dropped as well, or is it inactivity? And then suddenly he got himself involved in discussions, Luke, for a fight I thought was perfect right now for Leon Edwards, who is being kept on the outside looking in by UFC, presumably for his lack of of marketing compared to the others at the top of the welterweight rankings, he came out and said, I will fight your golden boy, Kamzat Shemaev. And suddenly he's back in the rankings. What the hell's really going on here? Everyone wants to have righteous indignation about this. How could the UFC do such a thing? 
isn't that unfair to Leon? And my answer is, yeah, and? I mean, here's the thing. It's like, dude, you've been covering this game long enough. You've been watching this kind of thing long enough. I remember when they took Nate Diaz out for a time because the Nate Diaz was having some kind of promoter spat and they couldn't get along. Oh, yeah, you can't, you're not going to stay active. We'll fucking take you out the rankings. And they yeah. did. In the end, it didn't have ultimately that negative an impact. Listen, can you make a case that Leon maybe should have taken the Wonder Boy fight? Because we talked about on this show, Wonder Boy at the time was top five. The guy was looking for a top five opponent. He was supposed to get Tyron Woodley in this major career slump. I think it would have elevated him. The pandemic ruined that for him. I'm not saying that Woodley would have been a, excuse me, that Wonder Boy would have been the perfect replacement, but it's a perfectly suitable fight, and he turned it down. So did he do everything in his part to avoid the situation? You could make a case that he didn't. But okay, really, it's just the UFC flexing their muscle. Guys, I'm going to keep saying this until someone decides to listen. The UFC is... So arrogant. Well, it's just really true. Tell Tell me this is wrong. The UFC is going to do what they are legally allowed to do, and they're not going to not do it, Uh, until they're not legally allowed to do it. In other words, the only thing to get them to stop is not norms or expectations or what you think is the right thing. It's their rankings. They have total leverage in contract negotiations. They have total leverage in how fighters should be paid. And they're going to do the things they are legally required to do and maybe not necessarily a whole lot more because they can. The UFC plays hardball with everything. So, like, am I supposed to be upset that Leon Edwards got treated in a way where he was used by the rankings and this sort of like pressure from the promoters, hold on, to, to, to ultimately accept the fight that it really is not in his interest. Everyone's like, oh, it'd be great for him if he beat Kamzat. Right, but the whole point booking him against Kamzat is that he looks bad in the end. Yes, you can make a claim that he got done wrong here, but it's the UFC show. You want to change this kind of dynamic? Because by the way, this is going to happen again. Pass legislation, make a union or trade association or stop crying, because that's just what it is. Well, uh, you know, I think it pushes him in the direction I've said he needed to go. You want the respect of the promoter who doesn't give you any? Go after the promoter's prize big next jewel. And I don't think he loses taking that fight. I don't mean the win-loss. I mean, I don't think he loses. What would he gain if he won that? He would gain a lot. You beat a guy. Is is is, Is Chimaev ranked? No, but he's so hot right now. I don't believe he's ranked. That I mean, you go through him. That seems to be, do not pass go. Go straight to the title shot, right? No, they're not going to give you a title shot off of that, please. You're telling, all right. Really, they're going to give him a title shot ahead of Colby? I don't believe that. I don't believe that for two seconds. Leon Edwards, no chance. Uh, Let's see, currently sitting at middleweight or welterweight, is Chimaev ranked? Not that I see, no. He is unranked. So what the fuck good does it do? Now, granted, I get you. It gets their attention. uh, Certainly. Of all the unranked guys you could possibly give him, this is the best one in terms of what it could do for him. And here we are talking about Leon Edwards, and we normally don't. Still, the idea here is if if Kamzat beats him, which I think is their expectation, not only does he win, he might make the other one look bad in the process. So you took on an unranked guy, you lost, you're going to get dropped in the rankings. Not completely, but it's going to hurt your stock let's say, and now Chemayev gets to scoot right into the top three well, look, as a result. The division is crowded enough at the top that he's not going to get the title shot at Leon anytime soon. You're just not. You're going to have to do the, the Max Holloway long game and hope you know eventually the door opens up. So make that door open. Kick that shit in. And if you are elite and you are a title prospect and contender, 
then you maybe should go in there and beat Jemayev, all right? So sometimes you got to- This gotta, is you just defending promoter uh, strength over their fight. No, this is me telling Leon Edwards that it's it's not your fault necessarily, but you've been painted. You've got the scarlet letter on well, you. So, what so about, rip so, that so what, shit off, all So right? what about that, BC? Do you think Leon should have been more accepting of other opportunities? Yes, I think he should have fought Wonderboy. I'm in on that. Uh, staying on this comes at Chemayev, who will be his big fight. You know, we've heard everything from Maya rumored uh, so Chris Weidman wanting invo involvement. Uh, we know that Mike Perry, Robbie Lawler, intriguing, potentially washed-on-washed -washed welterweight fight is now off. It looks like Lawler pulling out with something. I don't know. You haven't pulled out in <laughs> a decade or two, but uh, uh, you know where I'm going with that. Interesting enough, though, and I mean, we don't we didn't get Coach Latori's quote on this. Mike Perry wants as a replacement Kamzat Chumayev. Look, you could make any number of Chumayev fight here for his next one because it's gonna be a big one because he's ready to burst. You can, you can give him a legitimate contender like an Edwards or you can give him a guy he can look great against or you can give him someone who's batshit crazy like Mike Perry that can make fun fights. Would you book this? I like Perry versus Chumayev a lot more than I like Edwards versus Chumayev. Yeah, I love that fight because Listen, Kamzat Chemaev, every time he shows you something, it's very impressive. But here we have a case where, who was the guy who put the dead animal on his head last week from Kazakhstan? Uh, Rachmanov was his name, right? Bor Borat Sagdiev? No, he was the other one who had oh. a great weekend from Kazakhstan. <laughs> Rachmanov, the guy who beat Cowboy Oliveira. Yes, yes. Here comes a guy that no one, well, okay, hardcore have heard of, but no standard UFC fan has heard of. That guy, Rachmanov, has already got a better win against a higher caliber opponent than anyone Kamzat Shemaev has fought, and there's no discussion about that. Now, I'm not saying that's because he's better than Shemaev or any of this nonsense. I'm simply pointing out, for all the interesting things that Shemaev has done, man, you got a lot of work in front of you before you should be fighting people in the top five. I'm with you on that. Mike Perry, uh, for an unranked welterweight, is, is a, a very out. Is he can grapple. He's, he's got sneaky grapple. Strong as balls. Yep. He's got a heavy punch. I love that fight. Actually, I, lo I love that fight a lot. Make it. All right, I'd love to be the third quarter man for that. I would love. Oh my God, if I could get in that dynamic, if as oh, long Mike as Perry I, sign? as long as he he'll you know forgive me and welcome me back in, and I you know I'll carry. Would you slap him and do the Teddy Atlas bit, being like, "We're firemen, <laughs> we live at the fire." Do you believe in ghosts? Can I tell you? Uh, no, I, you know I'd I'd carry the bucket for Latori. I'd really I'd be the third. I'd be the, you know, I'd be the sauce to their meat. In a lot of ways. You, you know think I mean? you're the sauce for some reason. I don't know why. All right, let's roll on here, Luke. Uh, look, Thursday night uh, was Bellator 250. We hyped it up big because, on paper, great matchup. Vacant middleweight title, former champion Gegard Mousasi, current welterweight champion Douglas Lima. The theme was that the smaller man, the red hot man, was daring to be great. But Musasi succeeded in the end via unanimous decision of removing the potential excitement from the fight by relying on his smarts. And yes, even though the size was close come fight night, really being the bigger fighter and acting that out, using the first round to dominate with his wrestling to get a clear, seemingly clear decision in which, yes, some leg strikes late from Lima. But is this a Musasi night or a night in which the great Douglas Lima just failed to impress, failed to do enough on a big stage. Douglas Lima looks to me like a guy who isn't sure that he's as great as even we think he is, right? I mean, he's got this situation where he'll lose to somebody, come back a second time. Like, he lost to Koreshkov once, came back a second time, and then even the third time. Lost to Rory by a, by a finger. And then came back and then beat him pretty, pretty soundly. It's like he has to see, like, oh, wait, I do belong. But by the time he makes that decision, it's just too late the first time around. So, like, if they rebook this fight a year from now... 
I might honestly take Lima that time around because here's the thing about it. Well, I figured it. something out in the fifth round, right, when he came on? Even in the fourth round, I thought you could make the case that, that he won that round. I mean, here's the thing about it. It's like for as much as you want to beat up on Lima for being like, why didn't you do more, you know, earlier on when you could have? But I also think, BC, we didn't talk about this last night. We watched the fight together. I think the reverse is kind of true. You could say to, to Musasi, dude, that, you didn't do much at the end of that fight either. Well, he seemed and content to do I'm not saying he was do... as hesitant, but like he was hesitant enough where the major problem with that fight, I think you would agree, it was super underwhelming. Well, it was super technical in a lot of ways too, and I think you can be technical and be and be and be great. You Let don't me have put to be a couple things on the table that I think are true that conspire together in this. In the end, Lima start, both started too late and didn't do enough. He also was gassed in round two, probably for a big reason because he was on his back for most of round one, fighting off wrestling, fighting off submission attempts. That I thought Lima surprised himself at being a little bit too winded from from having to deal with a bigger man in that sense. Uh, he he regulated his gas tank enough to have enough for that fifth round flurry. Now in the fifth round, he figured some things out. He leg kicks. It looked like Musasi was one more big kick away from from crumbling. Yet that moment that he absorbed that last kick, he goes right in for the takedown, right. which is kind of what Habib did. As soon as it looked like Justin Gaethje was one kick away from really giving him a problem, went right into that finishing mode that we talked about and finished the fight. Well, Musasi went into the finishing mode of keeping him away and down and leaning on him. The bigger man, Mustasi didn't, he didn't jump off the screen and impress, but in a veteran way, he leaned on his advantages, did exactly what he had to do. I think the story is a little bit bigger that, maybe do you agree, uh, maybe to the, agreeing to your point that Lima doesn't even realize how great he is. Had he started in round two or three with, with, with that much output, you know, he probably wins that fight. I think Lima is a slow starter. He's got a little bit of that Cowboy Cerrone in him. All right. But... I, I, there's, there's, there must be some kind of confidence issue because when he decided to just be more, he didn't, like what, like what was the difference between rounds three and rounds four aside from the uptick in volume? Like was there some dramatic shift in I think strategy? in round three, Lima finally started letting that right hand go and he found that he can land it. Right. But, but what I'm saying is, was there a major tactical shift? Was there some kind of like, oh, uh, Stipe can land body shots with the left on DC kind of eureka moment? Not really. He just did more. He just did more in the end. And so it's like, dude, you, if you had done that earlier, like this would have been a totally different fight. I do think that size came into play a little bit, at least in the head maybe, so to speak, of Lima, where you had Musasi come out first round, really take it to him in the, in the wrestling and sort of grappling department. Didn't land a whole lot from a tremendous like shot standpoint, but really was able to get the job done in that regard. And then, you know, the, the, it just looked to me like, was there a massive size difference between the two? No, not really. In fact, it was pretty small in ways. But that imposition early, I think, got in Douglas Lima's head, and I think that worked. That's a pretty smart play from Musasi. And the other part about Musasi is those leg kicks from Lima are deadly on any weight class, oh, I would yeah. say. But Musasi just looks to me like the guy who, he's taking shots from heavyweights. Like, Douglas Lima can hurt him, of course. But, you know, when you've seen that kind of firepower, even though he was hesitant tactically towards the end, I just don't think he was phased. Here's my only question to you, BC. Musasi came into the belt organization from UFC, maybe at his all-time peak when at the end of his UFC Five run. straight wins in UFC to close it, and those last four were like what? It was like Weidman, uh, Thiago Santos. It, uh, yeah. All four by stoppage, by the way. Yeah. Vitor Belfort, and uh, I forgot the fourth one was. Okay, but he was on a super high. Since going to Bellator, he got the gift against Slomenko. Uh, he had the win against Machida. I think he had the win against Carvalho. He had the win over... Um, Rory. Rory. 
uh, and now the win over Lima and the loss, and the to, loss to Lovato. Rafi Lovato. Okay, but here's the point. It's like you beat two welterweights and you beat Carvalho, who I'm not even sure is with the organization anymore. You should have lost to Shlomenko. I, I had Shlomenko winning that one. And then you had the loss to Lovato, who's not in the sport anymore, obviously from a different situation. Is he – where's Musasi in his career? I think he's uh, he's leveling off to a degree, meaning you know he's not the same, but he's against a world class guy. He leaned on exactly what he needed to do. He's still got enough in the tank to win these kind of fights. The thing is, though, unfortunately, that because Lima didn't do enough, it almost takes away from that this was a really good win for Musasi. He doesn't really get much credit. You know, if Lima had won this, we're like doubling down on how great he might be. He might be in your top ten pound for pound worldwide. He might be this future thing. And I think Musashi just gets a move the chains win in the end. It doesn't do much for him legacy-wise outside of getting the Bellator middleweight title back on his waist for a second time. But again, he didn't have to go through Lovato, the guy that beat him, to do it. So um, it was another night where we tipped the cap, though, at a a great veteran in Musashi who's had 57 pro fights, a 17-year career, won titles in various organizations. Uh, To To me, though, at this point, before he would win on overwhelming dominance of force through skill, now, to me, he's winning much more on smarts, which 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 has required him to to be a little like that. That Machida fight, he was super risk averse, and he even said it in the end. He's like, I had to be, I had to be. He said the exact same thing at the end of this fight. He's dialing back his offense a little bit to be more judicious with it, and it it has made him less exciting. But he's still able to win at a pretty high level. All right, if you are Musasi, are you moving up to 205 to challenge Vadim Nemkov? Fuck no. <laughs> no. He hasn't fought at light heavyweight now for, no. for something like six or seven fights. No. Dude, Nemkov, don't fuck with that guy. Okay. You know, Corey Anderson wants that smoke. If he gets past Manhoff, okay. All right, how about different. this? How about this? How about 35-year-old Musasi going back to heavyweight to fight Bader? Do you like that? No, fuck no. You know, no, no, stay at, stay at uh, 185. So, the, so no more welterweights coming up, no more moving up there to be great, just stay in your lane at middle. Well, I mean, fact. how many welterweights can you fight before someone starts saying something? I mean, like, come on. Yeah. Two in his last three fights, I mean, that's enough. All right, uh, real quickly, uh, Jake Hager, the AEW pro wrestling star. Your favorite. He seemed to find his match on uh, on Thursday night there. Uh, Brand- was it you uh, who was asking me, like, why hasn't Bellator pushed him harder? I think we found the answer. Yeah, maybe. so he hangs on for a disputed decision in which his, he got kind of got his ass kicked. Uh, Brandon Colton, I believe, was the name of the guy. Colton correct? or Colton, yeah. Uh, he didn't look as much like he came right from the meat factory as some of uh, Hager's earlier opponents. But uh, Hager got a questionable win. Scott Coker did say afterwards he was impressed. Luke, I guess, impressed by the the dog fight that uh, Hager was willing to go through. I'm I'm, I'm going to tell you without really knowing. I'm sure he wasn't that rock hard with emotion after that fight. <laughs> he he hung on. Uh, Probably not going to see him against Bader anytime soon. But He was uh, probably swollen and throbbing, but from the injuries. Yeah, so yeah, much more from, from the, that. I uh, did show toughness. Penis erection. Shout out to Higgs there. That'll wrap up your Bellator 250. Unfortunately, some of those fights fell apart last minute due to COVID there. But uh, Yeah, they had a bunch of donks get COVID. Uh, let's hit the weekend. Uh, this Saturday, of course, in addition to the Showtime pay-per-view that we will hit in a second, you do have that UFC fight night card, which is very intriguing. A middleweight main event from Las Vegas. Uriah Hall versus Anderson Silva, what is being billed as for the final time. Now, Luke, we went to a deep dive Wednesday about Silva's great career, about the legacy and impact, and really about that interview he had with Canadian star Ariel Hawani where you really came out saying, uh, you know, I'm not sure he's done. You know, whether UFC ends up giving him one more to complete the contract or he can get out of the deal now, not really sure. He still wants to fight. But we don't know if that's still going to be the case after Saturday. He's got to potentially win this and maybe... He needs to look good. Let me ask you that, Luke. 
We know the number, one in six with one no contest in the last seven years. That's Anderson Silva in the UFC octagon. Does he need to beat Uriah Hall to, to have any chance at continuing, for us to want him to continue? I think if he went to Bellator, they would just reframe it and use that as a refreshing moment for his career, in which case he would not necessarily need to win. I mean, here's the part about it. It's like, let's say he does beat Uriah Hall, who's, by the way, a credible competitor. I don't mean to suggest that he's not by saying what I'm about to say, but it's like, given what Silva has already accomplished, it, it, is, a, it is a nice to, to think that this late in his 40s, he can still get wins against you know, ranked or respected opposition. But you know, his best days and what he accomplished, A, are, are not merely far behind us. They're at such a different level that beating someone like Hall, while impressive, it doesn't meaningfully add to his resume at this point. It doesn't really, it's not one of the, uh, it's not one of the other impressive feats you can stack along with the other ones that were already there. It's sort of different at this stage. It's, it, it's, it's nice to see, but it's not majorly impactful. And so, so I don't know that um, it would really change a whole lot, especially if he wants to go to Bellator. If he wants to stick around UFC, I don't even know if they want him with a loss at that point. I mean, that's, you're getting to BJ Penn level. I've heard Dana in interviews. It sounds to me, even though Anderson told Ariel that Dana did not ask him to retire, it sounds to me like Dana framed this on purpose because he wants him out. He doesn't want him to, to have an unhappy ending. I mean, he's already, like you said, one in, like I said, one in six in the last eight fights. I just wonder what we're going to see out of him. And this is something you and I talked about on CBS Sports HQ this morning that I think is key. Uh, the lack of a crowd hasn't really affected too many of the fighters in this wild 2020 and the crazy quarantine. But Anderson so fuels himself off of the crowd in general and the adoration and love for his fans. And yes, he'll offer journalists a chance to bring their significant other to roll around in a uh, workout ahead of time there. Um, he loves people. He loves performing for people. If there ain't no people, which there's not going to be at the UFC Apex, I don't know if he's going to be able to rally the same spirit that we saw in him against Israel Adesanya a couple fights back where he knew it was a massive opportunity. He also knew he didn't want to look bad and get sent to hell. So he gave everything that he had left. And it was a pretty fair effort and a loss. I don't know what we're going to get out of Silva because you made a, an interesting characterization this morning on HQ. Yeah, that you're yeah. not sure you see a guy in Silva who's trying to win fights over yeah. the last six, seven years. And look, the Bisping fight might be a perfect example. A, you're asking a veteran to go five hard rounds, but that was a fight to try to get Silva back in the title picture. And even though I think we can argue two things, that maybe he should have won as it was on the scorecards, and that you can argue that fight could have been stopped when he hit Bisping with the flying knee to end round three. But what I saw the rest of that fight was Silva just leaving the door open, doing right. Bruce Lee shit, and Bisping outworked him. I mean, do you think Silva can come in with the killer instinct again? Here's the thing. like You talk about that Bisping fight. So Bisping got dropped at the end of the third. Bisping's best round in terms of both volume and what was landed, right? So not just like pitter-patter shots, but like how much work did you do and what about the impactful portion of that? Both of those considerations mean his round four was his best one. So he got dropped in the third, and you could tell Bisping wanted that win. To your point, you couldn't really get a sense that like Silva was dying to get it in the same kind of burning intensity sort of way. And then you know, taking Cormier on short notice, okay, you heard him, but, you know, how much of a chance did he have to win that one? Not a whole lot. He got the Brunson win, which was kind of ho-hum. I don't think he deserved that. And then, you know, the Cannoneer was another kind of catastrophic injury. Here's what I think he's trying to do. I don't think he's trying to lose. But I think he would rather, I think he would rather entertain in some kind yes. of way. He'd rather have a chance at creating a viral moment to Correct. honor his fans. Rather than just, like, get, do what you have to do, like Musasi is doing in a very calculated way, 
to get the W. I don't think he's in that mind space at all. And the thing about Uriah Hall is we know he has underperformed historically despite being very talented. But here's the thing. While he's long in the tooth, respectively, not as much as... 36 years old. Yeah, not as much as Silva, but he's not exactly young. He's with Fortis MMA. And he's with Saif Saud, who is just not merely a great coach, but a guy who knows how to get his fighters to get the best of themselves. To really iron out the process, minimize the weaknesses, really accentuate the strengths, stay on the straight and narrow, sometimes be conventional, don't go too crazy, but really do the things you need to do to get your hand raised. I think this fight, in terms of getting the win and the loss, if you had to ask me who wants it more, I, I'm almost certain I could say Uriah Hall. Yeah, because look, if, if, if this was different, if this was Silva's go away and he was saying in the interviews, this is my final fight, I want to honor the fans once more, and if there were fans, and oh, by the way, if it was in Brazil, where it probably would be under normal circumstances, Luke, I'm going Silva all day because I feel like, again, he's going to find whatever's left in him and he's going to pour it out. Hall, even an aging Hall, is a dangerous guy to go in there potentially with the mindset of, hey, I'm Anderson, I just want to be nice to people. That's kind of GSP mixed in, but, yeah. you know, I just want to Bushido and, and give you a good moment. You may get sent to hell. Here's the only thing about it. If you look at the numbers on this one. Strikes landed per minute. Uriah Hall's at 3.31. Anderson Silva at 3. So slight edge there in terms of Uriah Hall, but not much. Here's the big key. Strikes absorbed per minute for Uriah Hall. 3.57. So number one, he's got a negative differential. right? He gets hit more than he lands. Two, this is the, this is the UFC career of Anderson Silva. He is still averaging less strikes absorbed, less than two per uh, minute. 1.98. Let me tell you something, folks. Look at these numbers all the time. If you see somebody who is how many fights deep in his UFC career at this point, and he's getting hit less than two times per minute, that is extremely good. That is very good. I'll say this. The numbers at least indicate, historically, he didn't get hit as much. His, uh, his striking accuracy for Silva, 62%. Defense, 61 Striking accuracy for Hall, just 50 Defense, 53 I'm not counting Silva out, to be clear, for these reasons. But it's just hard to believe that he really wants to get the W. Paul, a small betting favorite, two to one. I mean, is that small? That's that's small-ish. Small-ish. You know what? I I feel like what we're going to see here is a three-round decision in which Silva tries to summon a moment, doesn't get it, and seems content to go, I love you, I love everybody. How big would it be if he goes in there and smokes Hall? (sighs) He'd convince Dana to to bring him back. You think so? Here's the thing. Let's say it is his last fight, BC, and he goes in there and smokes Hall. Does he still go to Bellator? I mean, look, it all comes down to whether UFC really has that one other fight option. If there's one more that they can hold him to and he looks great and he wants to fight, eh. I mean, they did use the retirement angle to sell this fight completely on Saturday. True or false? They did. Uh, Completely to sell this entire card and going up against a a boxing pay-per-view and all that. Um, You know, we talked about the Bellator option, and I'd love to see him in freak fights against a Fedor. Is there anyone left in UFC, maybe separate from that Conor McGregor idea that I liked that you didn't like, that you actually would like to see him against. Like, I'll throw Yoel Romero out there. I, I, I came around to the Connor idea only in the following way. When Dana was like, oh, I don't want this fight to happen, but at the same time, Connor's sitting on ice. You know, to me, if the choice is Connor versus Silva or Connor on ice, I'm going to pick Connor versus Silva 10 times out of 10. By itself, I don't love the fight, but for those reasons, I was okay with it. Another name, I mean, look, you can always, especially if he goes in and he beats Hall. You could probably begin to think of a bunch of other matches. I can do a Legends Silva. tour with him. How about we get the trilogy against Weidman in which he'll win that fight? How about he we could. get Rockhold, who's washed a little? We don't know where Rockhold is, but okay, skepticism. Probably he's, handsome somewhere. So He's handsome somewhere. That's a guarantee. 
Is he going to be elite again? Breaking Very debatable. Hearts, not calling him back, probably. Right, right. Yeah. I did uh, ask him on camera one time what his DMs look like, and he gave me a very disrespected look. You know, like he's, you know. Uh, yeah, it's funny because I've asked, asked him that in person. Uh, the 2015 MMA Awards, he and I drank a little bit together. Ooh. Not for long. For like, you know, about an hour or so. You asked to smell his coattails at all? No, but I asked about his DMs. Okay. I got some stories. Wow. You know what? It's nice to be Luke Rockhold. It probably it's is. It's nice. It probably it, is. Good no. things happen to you a lot. <sighs> uh, in any case, here's the thing. There's a lot of names you could put Anderson Silva up against. I, I don't have a particular, like, it's got to be this. Well, it's got to be a wash guy. It does. It does. It's yeah, the Weidman, a... the Weidman one to me, my old producer from my old radio show, he's been singing this one, this tune for a long time. I actually love that fight. Yeah. But short of that, I don't have like a. I'd entertain just Nate Diaz at a catchweight. You'd do all that weird stuff. Yeah, you would, you would at this care. point, yeah. All right, uh, let's close on this card, the UFC fight night. Give me a storyline on the undercard to care about. Gotta be the co-main, Andre Feely taking on um, Bryce Mitchell. Bryce Mitchell, who now has his camo shorts. By the way, Reebok still fucked that camo up. It doesn't look that good, but okay. They're trying. What are you going to do? It looks do? more like a like a hunting type of setup, right? Well, it does look like. Yes, it looks like the kind of camouflage you might use in a tree stand. Versus, you know, uh, digitized camo, which the armed forces. Do the Marines use. wear camo? Yes, okay. but they have different kinds. There's like brown camo. There's the there's the sand camo, and then there's the sort of. You get very camo. defensive when I bring up the Marines. Yes, because you know fuck all about them, and you think somehow you're more patriotic than me, which is amazing. But um, I'm not very patriotic. I, I, I you yeah, but you're more like, you know, you're a conspiracy theorist who kind of also ha like gets teared up when you hear Lee Greenwood sing. Proud to be an American, you know, you're a little bit weird like that. <sighs> but okay, point being is, um, what a great fight for the. For, we, we all the energy right now is like, what's better, lightweight or bantamweight? Don't forget about featherweight. Featherweight is this division that's sandwiched in the middle, and I'm not saying it's as good as lightweight. I'm definitely not saying it's as good as bantamweight, but on its own, pretty fucking good. And here comes two guys in Bryce Mitchell, Young and Andre Feely. Feely was a guy who's had a bunch of ups and downs. We look at some of his losses; they were very, very close, right? Especially the last one to Sadiq Yusuf. He was extremely competitive in that contest. I think very highly of his development, and Bryce Mitchell on the ground is an absolute animal. How about the rest of his game? I don't know, but I know Andre Feely is going to be a great test. This is a great test for where Bryce Mitchell is. He's given you some spectacular wins. He goes after submission. Look, he goes after submissions, right? I mean, he goes yes. like... like um, it's a mindset. You, that when he grapples... He does it with a certain mindset that allows him to find these positions. You ever go to uh, spring break in a, in a kind of crappy city? Like, I've done a lot of Daytona Beach spring break, okay? okay? The weekends is a lot of thirsty college kids, and, you know, and there's probably bad rap concerts down at the beachside club. You ever go out on a weeknight during spring break? I'm sorry, I had that inverted. Weeknights is all local, is all uh, spring breakers. The weekends is when the locals come out, when the old guys at the club come out. You and me. And they are thirsty as all balls. And they go after the Punyani, the young. Punyani? At, at is there a, in there? With a passion that can only be compared to Bryce Mitchell's want to get that submission win. And let me tell you this right here if he gets one against Touchy Feely, that. You're now elevating him to another level in terms of the rankings and where you see him. Yes, that is true. But I, 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 I would not be so ready to look past Feely. You, you seem a little, every, here's the thing. Bryce Mitchell, I, I, I is an, Bryce Mitchell is an authentic character. He has an ultra-aggressive, very fun style. And the whole camo shorts thing, it's, like, it's a great way to stand out. Plus, he did the commercial talking about ripping off his own nutsack and the whole thing. It's a real thing he did, by the way. Like, he's just got a ton of personality in the way that Feely, who's a little bit more, 
I wouldn't call him corporate, but sort of just sort of. Well, he's anti-corporate with the tats everywhere. He's got yeah, a yeah, cool but vibe. I mean, he does. He doesn't stand out in the crowd with this sort of bigger-than-life identity in the way that Bryce kind of does more naturally. But I think that Feely's development is a little bit overlooked because a couple times he tried to level up and he couldn't. Um, but every time he's tried that, he's been really, really close of late. And I still think he's young enough and good enough. Uh, I would not be surprised at all if he beats Bryce Mitchell. Uh, did you see Touchy Feely's acting debut on that uh, Uriah Faber produced straight to streaming did weed Did you hear thriller? my cameo in it? Are you in that? I'm in that. I, wa I watched the, the, the press screen I of that. I am in that, It yes. was a good-ass movie. It's it started a very off, good movie, yes. started off very, like, like uh, direct-to-video, but yeah. then started evolving and got a little nasty. Got a little, uh, got a little good. I was the newscaster in one of the scenes. Are you sure? Yes, I'm 100% sure, yes. I'm in the trailer. My, my voice is actually the first voice in the trailer. Okay. I don't know if we're talking I about I didn't this. get paid for that. <laughs> all right, all right. It wasn't a big uh, budget production. Real quick on that undercard heavyweights. Maurice Green, the king of crochet. Yeah, Greg against Hardy. Against Greg Hardy. Greg Hardy coming in well under the radar here. How big of a fight for Hardy's advancement is it? I don't know. Like on the one, Here's what I, th I think. In terms of like meaningfully becoming something as an attraction, this fight means nothing. I don't think beating Maurice Green and the way that he's doing it means jack shit. In terms of like developing Greg Hardy into the best version of himself, I think it's a perfectly serviceable fight. Because Greg Hardy, I thought when he beat, what was the guy, Austin Lane or whatever his name was on the Contender Series, I mean, he looked to me like he was shot out of a cannon. The athletic difference between this guy and the other one was enormous. And he's shown some growth that I think you just can't take away, with, away from him, even if you don't like the guy as the person. But there's also been something lagging about his development at the same time. Right, and so I'm trying to see exactly where it is. Beating someone like Maurice Green, depending on how he does it, could give us an indication of, of, of you know, filling in that picture. Friend of the program, Rashad Evans, will be working Greg Hardy's corner on on Saturday. So and is I, he at Hard Knocks now? Uh, Sanford MMA, I believe. Oh yeah, that's what it's called now. But yeah, yeah wasn't Greg Hardy just at uh, ATT? I'm yeah. not sure if he changed. So, dude, I, no one knows the story here, or at least it's never been public. But Dean Thomas leaves ATT. Phil Derue leaves ATT. Uh, Colby Covington left ATT, and Greg Hardy, I guess some other ones did as well. Now, now people come and go from a team that big all the time. Well, King Mo stepped up. King Mo Coach stepped Mikey up. Coach Mikey Brown. Brazilian Trek is there, Conan? Conan Silvera, yep. Um, so it's like, what happened where there was not an exodus, but there was, it seemed to me, a little bit of a purge? A okay, little purge? Okay, I did ask Rashad when he was on the uh, Morning Combat uh, uh, expert picks pod last week. Uh, had he ever cornered somebody before? I didn't know this. He said he was in Vitor Belfort's corner in the John Jones title fight, which is kind of some weird WWE, uh, you know, bullshit me like like comeback because you know obviously Rashad had the big feud with John Jones, so then he went into uh, Vitor's corner to help him, and they almost got the submission. Vitor was uh, he had a lot of testosterone in his system for that one. Damn, damn right he did. Shout out to that. Still lost. Still lost. Uh, John's that good. All right. Hey, uh, it's a pay-per-view week. Let's get into the main event. Showtime pay-per-view this Saturday. Halloween night, the Alamo Dome, 9 p.m. Eastern. Strong undercard on that main pay-per-view card, but it's topped, of course. 130 pounds. Gervonta Tank Davis going to bring his secondary WBA belt at 135. Put it on the line at 130 against Leo Santa Cruz. The four-division champion currently has the WBA belt at 130. We have nailed hard the storylines coming in. Floyd Mayweather's involvement, all that stuff. 
today at 1 p.m. Eastern. Check out the weigh-in stream. We're going to see if Gervonta can make 130. Luke and I are going to be hosting that. <laughs> uh, we'll be breaking all things down. But let's talk about the actual fight. Right. And let's say Gervonta makes weight and looks great. Is it easy to just say that, or is that still the biggest stumbling block on how you handicap who wins on Yeah, Saturday? so here's my, my thing. He said yesterday at the press conference, which we hosted the stream for that as well, that he moved his camp from Baltimore to Las Vegas to be closer to Floyd Mayweather, okay? And he said the camp has been 15 weeks. Now, we know he's had trouble making 135 and 130. This one will be at 130. But my thought is, BC, if you can't make weight, if you're really training after 15 weeks as a professional athlete, then, not, then you just should not be involved in that weight class under any circumstance. So we're going to see what's up. I tend to think he will make it. He might struggle, but I suspect that he will make it. Okay. So if he makes it still, the question is, is in what shape is he going to be? Leo Santa Cruz has said that the first five rounds are going to be where the storm is, and then after that, he's going to be really begin to take over. The conventional wisdom around this fight is maybe Cruz will do that, Santa Cruz will do that, maybe he won't, but eventually Davis, the big power puncher in either hand, is going to find the mark and lay him out. I don't think that that's a crazy thought. Vegas believes that. Vegas believes that. I don't think that's in any way a crazy thought. I can see that logic, but to me it's missing something, which is in order for a guy like Gervonta, who, Gervonta, excuse me, who is not necessarily like a rhythm fighter, but he is judicious about his shot selection, right? People don't talk about this. They only talk about him as an athlete and a big puncher, but he's actually a very smart guy, but he is a little bit too deliberate. He has to make... I'm not saying you can't play the volume game with Santa Cruz. You will lose. You're right. So you can't do that. But at the same time, you can't let him play his volume game. He's going to get some volume. You just spot him that. But you don't want him to have free reign. You want to be able to push back on that just enough, which means you're going to have to slightly match his intensity. You're going to have to put out a little bit more than what he's doing. I'm expecting Gervonta to sit behind the jab a little bit more that he commonly does. I really think that's going to be key. Plus, Santa Cruz a little bit longer as well. So really sticking that into his face and making him uh, feel it, making him have to uh, really work to push him backwards, I think these are going to be key. And I think that Gervonta, through a slightly increased amount of output, working behind the jab, and if he does that, will eventually find it because it, won't, it will never put him in a position where he's too far from ever getting back in rhythm, finding setups, creating reads, that kind of a thing. But I honestly feel like if he sits back and says, I'm going to do the Charlo bit against Harrison, where I'm just going to spot you rounds and take leave, my time. You're going to leave a gap, and Leo will fill that, that gap. Leo will fill that gap in ways that Harrison did not. Uh, Leo certainly banking on gassing Gervonta Yao. And look, Gervonta, we, we think he's got all these boxing skills in there. Having a great trainer in Calvin Ford, having Floyd Mayweather be a, a huge influence in your camp. And saying that I got so much craft, I just haven't had to show it because I'm knocking fools out is one thing. You know, showing it is another thing. Vegas believes that it's either going to be his power or once they do match up, he's just the potential better athlete, better boxer. But the odds really don't represent the potential for how close this fight could be. Leo Santa Cruz is a guy who's been hovering around top 10 pound for pound for years. Only lost once and avenged that loss against Carl Frampton, albeit at featherweight, but showed you that he can box from the outside just as well as he can flurry on the inside. Obviously, the later this fight goes, the better chance Santa Cruz has. What you're really going to be looking for is that you said that first half of that fight, the first five rounds, can Leo certainly take the punches as a big key, but after that, can he bother Davis? Uh, can he hurt him? I'm not, I don't know. He can certainly go to the body and try, and that's something Leo Santa Cruz does well, as well as anybody. But can he just flurry and be, you know, have so much activity that 
Gervonta goes, wow, I'm going to need another part of my arsenal on this one that I don't always use. And again, maybe that begins to tax him. That's where you like Leo's chances better to, to have a shot to win this decision. But for all this breaking down and all this, you know, are the odds too wide? It may not matter. He may go in there and prove, Luke, that he can set up his power shots at an even better, you know, uh, craft than we'd seen before. And that power is the ultimate equalizer. This is his pay-per-view debut. Gervonta's doing it three years earlier than even Floyd did back in 2005 against Arturo Gatti when he was 28. Uh, I think he's going to make a big splash. And I think that uh, whether you think Leo's not getting the full respect or whether you, I can guarantee you that Leo's going to give us the five best rounds we've ever seen, he can still get stopped in that sixth round because Gervonta's got special fight-changing power and he's the bigger man. Yeah, the only thing I don't want to see is obviously the tactical approach that he had in the Gamboa fight is not relevant here. I don't mean that. And I'm not going to say he was lazy in that fight. But he was a little bit, I didn't get the sense that he had a, a much urgency either. And I'm not saying he has to have ants in the pants urgency. But, you know, if eight rounds have passed and you're like, okay, I'll get him in the, in the final third of this fight. I just don't, like, yes, that's probably true. Because, in fact, that's how we got Gamboa, right, in the final third of their fight. But I just don't like that as a strategy against Santa Cruz, who can just stay in your face, who can back you up. Another key here, I think you would agree, BC, the more time you see Davis with his back along the ropes, the more that's bad for him and vice versa. If Santa Cruz is on the ropes, Davis is going to work on him. So really where the fight takes place in the ring will also be very, very important. Yeah, very good undercard. couple 140-pound bites. Regis we Program. See Regis Program making his PBC debut. I saw you guys put up on the bottom of the screen that you can order this fight now. It's Saturday night. Showtime pay-per-view. Gervonta Davis, Leo Santa Cruz get ahead of the game. And, of course, check out the weigh-in special today hey, at 1 Eastern. How did get invited to uh, San Antonio? I think we had much more pressing business to do here in Jersey, all right? Yeah, is that yeah. what it was? We could have done that from there, too, you know? You know okay. I, I thought when we would get here to the top, we would be, like, in Manhattan, you know? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, the neon lights, you we know, all that. We can see Manhattan across the water from <sighs> They're like, hey, Jersey City is all yours. Take it all. You know, it's you and Bobby Hurley, all you need over there. All right. Uh, yeah, that's the fight this weekend. Uh, it's not all of boxing, though, this weekend, Luke. Some really good sneaky stuff going on. And let's start here in the heavyweight division. You're going to want to check this out. It's on zone. It's Alexander Usyk in England facing his second fight at heavyweight, but his toughest test to date. Do we have a against... of the weigh-ins? I don't know. We'll see in a second. I was, I was setting... Sorry, I was, sorry. I don't know if you've ever hosted sorry. the show before. Against veteran British brawler Derek Chisora. Now, let me tell you this. I know we have a lot of MMA fans here, Luke, okay? If you don't know who Alexander Usyk is, the Ukrainian, the Olympic gold medalist... Here's basically what he is. He won all four Cruiserweight World titles by beating one unbeaten killer after another, winning the World Boxing Super Series, jumping into our pound-for-pound list, and he's basically a Lomachenko of the higher weight classes. He is a guy who's now moved up to heavyweight, and if he is able to use his speed, footwork, elusiveness, he's not a big power puncher, if he can do that and swim without getting wet and take the punching power of the big guys. Luke, it's in play. He's already a mandatory for one of Anthony Joshua's titles. It's in play that he could be a wild out doing some of the same things Tyson Fury did, although he's only six foot three and not as long. But he could be the Swiss Army knife that gives Wilder, Joshua, Ortiz, anybody problems. The problem is he had an injury which delayed his heavyweight debut by a year. The first fight came against Chaz Withers, but we didn't learn much. We may learn a lot because Chisora makes you fight. You see this as knife slicing through butter and the skills pay the bills, or do you think Usyk could have a rough night at the fights this Saturday? I tend to think very highly of Usyk. He was also supposed to fight 
um, former kickboxing star, uh, the uh, Tyrone Spong, Tyrone Spong was the Surinamese uh, guy, and then Tyron, you know, had some. We want to say drug testing issues, something like something that. Something like that, yeah. So they never made that fight, which would have been fun to see. Although I think Usyk would have uh, had his way with him too. From what I have seen of Usyk through his cruiserweight run, he is just incredible. Um, but you're right. This is really the first time at heavyweight we're like, okay, you have to fight somebody who is has been at the relative top of this game. For quite some time it's in this durable, division, durable, power. big power, uh, uh, sort of a dynamic force as a personality. To what extent that may rattle him, I don't think that it will. But you know, there's always something to be dealt with there. So this is a great first real big foray into heavyweight. I tend to think that Usyk just has way more skill I, I'm with and you. is a better athlete, actually. But I guess we'll see. Look, uh, you know, a little taste of what Usyk might be like at heavyweight came in his last cruiserweight bout. He fought Tony Bellew, who had come down from heavyweight. He retired, by the and, way. And, and I, I actually called that fight for DAZN, and he, you know, he sent him to hell. And oh, it was you a, were the doofus doing it. It was a beautiful uh, <laughs> setup and finish. Um, like I said, Usyk, the mandatory for Joshua. I think he, I think he's going to be spectacular on Saturday. I think he's going to pick Chisora apart, and I think we're going to be talking. He's going to stop him. I think we're going to be talking Monday. You know, to stop him, it's going to have to be over, you know, accumulation of punches. But I think we're going to be talking about this wizard. How is he going to do against the super heavyweights coming up? We'll see. It's a great showcase, not a showcase. It's a great step up, really, opportunity on Saturday there. Also this weekend, I believe this one's on uh, ESPN. I'm not sure if it's on the plus, but uh, I have Usyk number six in my top ten for pound. You know, I have number two. The Japanese monster. If you're an MMA fan and you don't know who Naiwa Inoue is, get learnt quickly. He's going to be defending his Bantamweight titles, I believe. He had just uh, coming off winning the World Boxing Super Series at 118 pounds, going in there against one of the Maloney brothers from Australia. So, Luke, um, I'm not super high on the Maloney's. I believe this is Jason who he's fighting on Saturday. This isn't so much about the opponent here. This is a little bit more about... Um, Inoue, who'd been fighting off of US TV, his initial rise. And he did kind of that Lomachenko thing. He wanted all the smoke early. He turned pro. He fought for and won a title in like his fifth fight. He moved up in weight and won a title in his second division in like his seventh or eighth fight. Now he's a three division champion. And he's coming off the fight of the year last year in the final of that tournament when the veteran Nonino Donare pushed him, broke Inoue's face in the second round, but Inoue survived that. Um, this is all about Inoue coming to the States and top rank introducing him to the people, is he as good as, as, as my phoner is telling you right now? No, every boxing fan was high on this guy, and I didn't know anything about him until the World Boxing Super Series, where he, of course, ultimately culminated in the fight against Donaire and did what he did. And so that was my real introduction to him. So obviously I'm not as well-versed in the totality of his career, but from what I saw, I mean, the guy is just all power, all action, in your face. And, still and technical. he's slick, technical, yeah, yes. Super slick. So he's not just a big bruiser who just gets in your face. He's got the full array of boxing skills. The only issue with him is while the WBSS tournament was good for raising his visibility inside the boxing and somewhat the sporting community, he still has not become that popular attraction. He's really not crossed over in that way. Like the level of enthusiasm that hardcores have for him should over time translate to making this person a bigger star, like they did for Lomachenko and Lopez. Like Chuck Latino had a minute there where he became a thing where thing, people... Exactly, where he had Residente from uh, Calle Trece, just shouting him out. The whole nine yards, in a way, needs that push. Yes. And this is really the beginning of that. Well, uh, you know, a guy who carried his power up, and he's starting to show you that, like, there may not be a ceiling on where 
on the effectiveness of his power, and that's dangerous. Already a three-division champion wants the, everyone, wants them all. Why don't you tell me what you, uh, tell uh, the audience what you told me about Maloney's chances. Be uh, real. Yeah, get your family to write your will out. The old, the old Mike Tyson quote, you know? The, the, uh, I think he's going to send Maloney to hell, even though he's a qualified opponent here. But this is more about a new way he can do it all. And the best part about that Donaire fight, which we thought he was going to destroy Nonito, and Donaire in his late 30s poured it out, bro. Like I said, broke uh, Inoue's orbital bone, like was, was hurting him late before he ended up getting dropped twice in a very close fight. Uh, he proved to us, Luke, that he's tough, that it's not all knockouts, that he can box, that he can adjust his game plan. The Japanese monster, Naiwa Inoue, number two pound for pound on my list, is the real deal. Hey, you got to do it in the States, right? You want to make it here? If you can make it here in Jersey City, you, I don't know. I don't know you if can you're make it in maybe Hoboken. Yeah, you'll probably make it in my factory town. But uh, he's going to have to make it in Vegas on Saturday, Inoue. And that's, uh, that's the shit for the week here, Luke. Uh, you want to do a little uh, dead wrong? Let's do some dead wrong. All right, let's get into your, that. Your favorite segment of the week. Yep, this is where we look back and see, um, yeah, what we what we got the hell wrong there. Uh, heavy on Luke this week. Wow, uh, Luke, this it's heavy on me every week because people don't police you as hard. That's why. All right, in last week's dead wrong, how how Mike how uh, meta was this? Yeah, this during was yeah, dead, I got I got was dead wrong during dead wrong. Yes, uh, isn't that ironic, right? Mm -hmm. Don't you think? Little too ironic. <laughs> I really do think, right? Yeah. Wow. Right. Little. Yeah. You know, it was Dave Coulier that she was banging that she wrote the "You Ought to Know" show. I know. So um, there's there's certain there's certain women in life who are just when it comes to picking the men in there. There's classic. That's Uncle Joey. Classic uh, underachievers. Yeah. Yeah. Shout, shout out to Atlantis there. Uh, Luke, during last week's dead wrong, we were talking about Rashad Evans. And you said he was the first tough winner to win a UFC championship. No, totally wrong. Uh, he had just beaten Forrest Griffin, who really was the first. Was one. the first. So tough. I think the so okay. So a couple things. One, sometimes I'm dead wrong. I just misspeak. It still counts. You got to count it, but it's not as bad. This was one I just got the memory. Oh wait, am I dead wrong? Look, no. I'm, I'm reading the stats. Forrest Griffin is who Rashad won the title from. Yes. But Matt Sarah was the first. Was the first Ultimate Fighter win? Did he win the, the tough, or was he just? Uh, let's verify that because I thought Forrest Griffin won it. Our producer first. Mikey has it written here that uh, Forrest won his title in 08. Sarah won his from GSP in 07. So I guess Matt Sarah is the first tough winner to win a champ. If he if he even won, maybe I'm okay, dead wrong. Okay, but he had a career through UFC before the Ultimate Fighter because Sarah was on the season of the comeback. Yeah, yeah. And whereas uh, Rashad's gateway, Forrest Griffin's gateway. So I think. Ultimate Fighter products, that would be Forrest Griffin. And also, I think this was the fight where it was the first ever Ultimate Fighter winner winning a belt off another Ultimate Fighter winner. I think it was season one versus season two. So, but sometimes I'm dead wrong. I'll just misspeak. It counts, but it's not as bad. This one I just totally fucked up. So, is, is our my friend bad. Rashad Evans dead wrong about all he said on the Rogan show about psychedelics? I mean, could, could, could you? I've never done psychedelics. Could you go through a emotional and spiritual cleansing that maybe you need if you... And I were you willing. You think I need one? You, you and, fucking degenerate. Were you, would you be willing to come with me, Rashad? He'll probably have to get a shaman. We'll go to like Joshua Tree in California. We'll lick toads and and uh, and eat peyote and watch the uh, sunrise. And, 
No, you can just give me some edible brownies and call it a day, and I'll watch Family Guy. That's about all the spiritual introspection. I think this could be a turning point in your life. I'm going to get Rashad on the horn. Maybe we can get MK cameras there. Maybe we can get Jay involved. Why don't, why don't you do it first? Tell me okay. how it goes. All right. Also, Luke, you mentioned uh, that Alexander Volkov had wings tattooed on his upper back before changing it to the Decepticon or whatever the hell that thing is. He actually had a manta ray. Do you have a picture of this? I believe we do. It ain't it ain't wings. It was a manta okay. ray. Okay. It is a manta ray. I guess. But if you had not really paid close attention, but you had seen the tattoo, does it not resemble a lot of the other ones who get I mean, wings across their back? I mean, dead wrong is, it's true, you It is wrong, a manta ray, but... it is, okay, all right, but you know, go fuck yourselves, because this was not exactly, no, this, Jesus Christ. And my uh... ultimate point was correct, which was, there's that much black up top, uh, heavy blacking on the tattoo, because it was a cover-up, which you can see, they made, they made the helmet, basically. Yes. The, the covered up part of the, the sort of samurai mask or whatever. There's a lot of people that think that we ha we should be doing a weekly UFC tattoo segment or combat sports tattoo segment. I'm not opposed to it. Either am I. Um, do you feel like every time you see Robbie Lawler fight that that tramp stamp area is like incomplete? Like he started something and then it never finished? Yeah, I've been wondering when he was going to fill that in. Yeah. And I don't think he's going to fill that in, man. All right. All right. Shout out to Robbie Lawler. Uh, we do I thought you were getting a tattoo next month. Yeah, well, yeah, you're getting it on your forearm, From right? here to about here. What but, is it uh, again, the Colombian flag? No, it's uh, the Eagle Globe and Anchor of the Marine Corps. Semper Fi. What is it? Hu hua? Hu-ya? It's Ura, you fucking hog. <laughs> you nasty yeah. civilian Why pig. Why every Marine I know is just angry? That's the way they breed us, bro. That's the way it's done. I'd rather hang out with Rashad in the desert, you know? Yeah, listen, I'm not saying I'm opposed to that. Listen, you know what I need? I need a couple of edibles, and I just need a relaxing couch, and just leave me the fuck alone. Yeah, hot dog and a hand job, and just... Really, yeah. call it a day. All right, all right. Call uh, it a day. To close dead wrong on uh, Wednesday's show of this week, Luke, or no, maybe it was Monday. I got, apparently I got into a little hot water. We brought up Kurt Schilling. We brought up the, the, <laughs> the bloody sock game, and I believe my quote was, you know what? I don't have anything against Kurt Schilling, and here's why, Luke. Um, I know he's got controversial opinions. That's pretty I good. Love putting him, it mildly. I loved him as an athlete. I like that he kind of runs his mouth on the mic. I don't. Hold on, let me read this. I don't. I had to stop watching Morning Combat because Brian Campbell playing slash being the anti-science bro is just not something I find enjoyable. I do just let the YouTube video run on my Chromebook though because I want Luke Thomas to succeed. <laughs> so the snarky ginger. Fuck you, guys. Went on an assault of. Uh, I never said of I respect. Of course, B. Campbell respects Kurt Schilling, and I didn't need him to actually tell us to know I, it. I just said I have nothing against him. I loved him as an athlete. I, I think it's funny how oh, he riles like, people up. This is like up, one of my but... top supporters. She is like endlessly. Uh, she kept coming. She kept coming. Oh really? There's more to it. Yeah. Can we advance the slide? I told her basically, you don't know me there from the great Get Shorty clip. And then she says, uh, she goes, I know the character you get paid to play. Uh, do, I do I hope you know Kurt Schilling is a piece of garbage who has committed fraud and, at and is at best adjacent to racists and bigots? Yes. Does it matter when you go on a platform and say otherwise? No. I went on to defend myself. I don't I don't believe everything Kurt Schilling believes. I'm just like, I got nothing against him. He's just funny to me. He's just a character. Um, he's, a, he's a fucking moron. All right, so my dead wrong is that I represented, apparently, that I respect and believe in everything he says. So, yeah, I'm wrong. All I was saying is I don't hate the guy. I was a big fan of him as an athlete. Um, he named his son Garrig. That's kind of cool, right? Is Garrig, in, is he the leader of QAnon? He now? never frauded me. I don't really read his political views. Uh, Who was the other You know, look, we can love the art but hate the artist, right? Sort of. I mean, there's limits to it. But I would say, you know, all these MMA fighters don't share my politics. I still like them, you know. Okay. You got to learn to separate at some point.
Shout out to the snarky redhead ginger. I followed her to try to be nice, and then she said, don't follow me. <laughs> and then she did that thing where she unfollowed me from her. But uh, Which I think is, a, I think you do it through blocking and then quickly unblocking. It, it makes them no longer follow. All right. Well, shout out to the uh, people who think I'm just the Skip Bayless anti-science bro of this duo. Uh, is he anti-mask? I don't know. What is I don't, he? I don't know. Luke, I just bring it, all right? I just put myself and I smear it on the screen, right You're, in your we, face. We, by the way, okay? we have uh, Red, Room Service Diaries coming out where Brian goes into detail about how he's the ketchup. That's who you think you are, ketchup. Yeah, yeah, I'm the sauce, you know, bro. You're just a, in the end, you're an important piece of meat, but, you know, you're an unseasoned dead animal at the end of the day, all right? How they, is it that I've managed to have a significantly wider audience than you by being, is it, is it, by Luke, being boring? Luke, is it quality or quantity? Okay, what if I told you both, bro. in the history of my life, you know, I, you know, I, what, for example, if I was like, well, I slept with these three gorgeous women throughout my life, but then you're like, well, I slept with these hogs, baby, and, uh, you know, I'm a more man than you, I'd be like, take your gross dick elsewhere, right? Right. Dude, you need psychological counseling way more than I do. I spent a lot of time with you in the last few days, Luke. Okay? Yeah, I'm not, we, not telling you to bang heifers. What are you talking about? That's all you. All right. Hey, no tips this week, Luke. Okay. You have any? Uh, you want to give any tips on the way out? Any instructions? No, but we should say something because we're in the studio here, and candidly, I don't think it's going to be another nine months before we're back. So, but do I don't know when we're coming back. Could you see a future in which we're live Monday, Wednesday, Friday? Great bonus content clips in between the dissected, maybe the live chat. The MK also, let me say hardcore there was no There was no live chat yesterday because we had to do a bunch of stuff, including extra projects around the brand and for Showtime. So the live chat will come back next week. Just Hopefully to be clear dissected about that. as well. I love dissected. Big dissected? I don't know. Anyway, we'll do see. you see a future in which Mondays, though, are still right here? I will say can we make Monday I, can't, special? I can't wait to come back to this studio regularly on Mondays. I really What can. do you think went down on this table during the six months we weren't here? Does Jay touch himself inappropriately by sitting or standing? I could see Jay producing the show bare-ass sitting around here and just having us think he's professional from the aircraft carrier up, you know? Yeah, maybe. All right. I don't know. But I also had the window unit air conditioner. Yeah. So. Another No Jay Friday here, by the way. Shout out to Gaff. Shout out to Manich, our boys uh, holding us up. Big here. Meech. Yeah. Larry um, Hoover. I don't know what else I have to say here, Luke. Check us out at 1 p.m. Eastern today on the uh, Showtime YouTube channel, the uh, live weigh-in for... Uh, Gervonta and uh, Leo, can we hit up the social on the bottom, Put please? Put the socials. Uh, follow me at, at a few different places there, okay? Thank yeah, you. we're on the tweets. We're on the Instas. Yeah. Give us a uh, like and subscribe, by the way, to the video. Did move a whole lot of units in that regard this week. Not every week can be a big winner, but uh, October has been well, I a mean, very good month for my us. My interview with Regis Progress is still out there if people want to check it out, all right? How many how many views does your boxing content like get? Like 100,000, probably. <laughs> Is that what it gets? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, dude, we put out boxing content as like a favor to boxing, and I don't think boxing loves us back. Just putting that out there. It's a different audience, Luke, okay? It's a different Serious audience. question. Are they as online no. as MMA fans? No. They're not, right? No. It's, it's, it, I don't know anyone in boxing that does big podcast numbers. I'm serious about that. You know, I don't think that's a big avenue compared to MMA or NBA or whatever. You know, different sports have different, uh, you know, Groups that are, cultures, that are different ages or different tendencies in terms of the online culture or podcast. I don't see that as much in the box game. My MMA's hot, pro wrestling's hot, for example, but, you know. All right, how much are you going to miss me? What time does my car pick me up today? Uh, like three? Yeah. 
Uh, check us out at the 1 p.m. Eastern live stream, The Way In. We'll be sitting right here at Orchids of Combat. Um, it was a pleasure, though, Luke, this week to be in your presence. Um, some would say we wouldn't have a show without all your social followers, all right? Well, thanks for watching. Uh, enjoy your Halloween weekend. Uh, uh, don't spread the COVID. Thank you. For Luke Thomas, I am Brian Campbell, Big Bay.